Hello and welcome to another episode of Movies That Make Us. I'm Jake. I'm Tracy. And I'm Val. And happy two days after Thanksgiving, guys, <laughs> if we're recording this. Hopefully everybody yeah. had a great Thanksgiving. Yeah, I mean, I ate all the food. I still have more food. I think I'm going to have pie for breakfast. Your food looked amazing, by the way. Oh, thank it you. Really oh my gosh, that looks so good. And congrats, that's like your... First one doing it by yourself? By my for the whole thing by myself. Yeah. Like yeah. I've made like the turkey before. Um, I've made a couple other things, but I've never done it like all by myself. Cause usually, you know, we all have big families. So people bring right. stuff in or you take stuff over or whatever. Um, my turkey was done almost 45 minutes sooner than it was supposed to be. That's so I was kind of like, okay, I gotta. I got to finish these potatoes because like I, <laughs> you know, like I had potatoes and gravy left to go. Like everything else I had pre like made either. I cut everything else up the night before. And then that morning I kind of cut things up or mix things together, put it in the fridge so I could just throw it in the oven. Um, but I was like, Oh crap, we got to start boiling the water because we like, I thought I had 45 minutes and then 30 minutes for the turkey to sit to do the potatoes and the gravy. Mm -hmm. And we, pull, we we tested the turkey and my dad's like, it's done. I'm like, okay, then. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. Yeah, we had, we had uh, different family members bring us food. And so everything was kind of just heat and serve for, for Erica. And it was great. Like we got like the Turkey and some of the sides from Cracker Barrel that my mom ordered for us. And it was really, really delicious. Like the Turkey, nice. is some of the best Turkey I've ever had. It's really tender and really juicy. And, nice. um, it, but when, when everybody had brought everything, Erica sent me a couple of pictures cause it was upstairs and I couldn't get up there very easily. And she was <laughs> like, she's like, we have so much food. <laughs> and so we've just been eating Thanksgiving dinner for every meal since, Thursday. Yeah, that's what it's, you it's do. Perfect. Yeah. Absolutely. And and it's one of the best things about having Thanksgiving just us is that we get to keep all the leftovers cuz you know when we go to right? my family's house they get to keep all the leftovers and then we're just like, well, it was just one meal. Now we get like the turkey sandwiches and all of the it's it's not <laughs> My daughter just fills up a cereal bowl full of mashed potatoes and gets a big spoon and walks around the house and like eat. I never make enough mashed potatoes. I had to make more mashed potatoes and gravy last night. Uh, yeah. Because my boyfriend, Dave, and his friend that's in town, they he was working all day, and they called uh, me when they were done, like, around 6.30, and he's like, so we're done, and we're a little hungry. Can we stop by? <laughs> like, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I'm in my sweats, and uh, that's no problem. But I needed to make more gravy anyway, because, like, I don't know why, but, like, why is the gravy always looks like you make so much? And mm -hmm. then... It's not. So I made a little more gravy. I made some more mashed potatoes and the mashed potatoes are already gone again. So wow. <laughs> yeah, that's wow. a good sign. Yeah. But I still have that's half awesome. of a pumpkin pie left. So that's what I'm going to eat today. That's all you need. Best thing ever. Can I, can I um, voice a grievance? Sure. Before we get into the last sure. movie, I'm a little nervous, but yeah, go ahead. It's not what could possibly you. go wrong here. It's not, it's not with you guys. It's not with you guys. But I was going to say, not... she's basically saying she needs to have a chat. Yeah, no. we need to I, talk. Sorry, I was just I was going to be the dad off of Seinfeld. Like it's time to voice the grievances. <laughs> um, Is it best of his time? I guess it's coming it's, up. 
It's, mid, it's middle of Christmas and Thanksgiving, right? Almost Festivus. No, I just, I thought that there was like an, um, well, it wasn't even unwritten. It's totally said like on Facebook, like when these big movies or TV shows come out that we like, like Marvel and Star Wars, that we're not supposed to like put spoilers up. And I know yeah. that on Friday, um, the Mandalorian episode came out and all the people that usually complain about spoilers are putting stuff all over Facebook about the last episode of the Mandalorian. And I hadn't watched it yet because I thought oh. I was going to maybe try and watch it with my boyfriend. Um, and I'm like, what the heck is going on? Like I kind of knew what was coming, you know, like yeah. you, you pay attention and you knew it was coming, but there were some very specific things that people were posting. Stop it. Yeah. Stop doing like, that. I, I know the temptation. Like I watched it. I happened to be awake in the middle of the night on Thursday. And so I was like, well, I'll watch the Mandalorian because I'm awake. And so I did. And like, I tweeted one thing out, but it wasn't a spoiler necessarily. Cause I didn't tag Mandalorian in it. And it was just, and it could have been applied to anything. Mm -hmm. and, it, and I didn't say what it was. I didn't, you know, give anything away. And I think you've just got to be like, I get it. You're excited. And it's like, Holy cow. But yeah, I agree. It, I know it's yeah, 2020 it's and like the rules are different, but yeah. yeah. I saw your post, Jake, and I thought, okay, you were basically like great episode two to go or something like that. Three well, yeah, on Facebook, I didn't say, yeah, on Facebook, I was really careful not to do, but on, on, on Twitter, on I, Twitter. I, uh, I tweeted out a name dot, dot, gotcha. dot. And that's all I said. Okay. And then I didn't, okay. I didn't hashtag the Mandalorian. I didn't say anything else besides that. And so that could be any number of things. And so I, I yeah. hopefully it didn't feel too spoilerish to people. Yeah. And I well, think if you watched it afterward, it'd be like, oh, that's a huge but yeah. well, a couple people, like, a couple yeah. people I saw post the name. And then yeah. I saw a couple other people say, so do we still get to call him this? And then oh. I would I put like a couple things together. But I mean, whatever, like it's that's not a big deal to me. But like it could have been a big deal to someone else. And so I'm just yeah. kind of like, I get it. It's 2020. We're all restless. We're all at home. We all want to do things. We all get excited about like little things and we just want to share and talk to people. But still, like I felt yeah. I finally turned it on last night because I'm like, I can't wait to watch it any longer, whatever. Um, so I turned it on and I got like. I don't know, 20 minutes in and I had fallen asleep because of course I was full of Turkey again. Um, <laughs> so I need to rewatch it today all the way through in the daylight hours when I don't have Turkey in my belly. Yeah. I, I watched it once when it, when it first dropped in the middle of the night and then watched it again in the morning with my daughter, my eight year old, who's a uh -huh. big Ahsoka Tano fan. And so she was like in heaven for the whole oh. episode. So for her, it was a, a big payoff just for that. Um, but that ended up not even being the biggest part of the episode. So <laughs> there was a lot of other stuff in it. So anyway. Because oh, I yeah, I haven't made it past that part. We had talked about this. And I know you guys have been talking about it on Stolen Droids. And we right. talked about it at Multiplane last week that we thought Ahsoka was coming. I mean, it's been they've been setting it up that she's yeah. coming in. And then I'm really happy with who they cast, who they cast for that. I think she she's just great. perfect for the role. I love her so much. Um, yeah. So yeah. it was really cool. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's all well, I that's, wanted. That was my grievance. <laughs> and I agree with you. You got to be careful. And yeah. 
just just be careful and try not to spoil it for people. So, um, Last of the Mohicans, though, we are going to spoil. So if you haven't seen it in the last, I don't know, it's been out almost never, 30 years. If you don't know about history and you've never seen the movie. And... Yeah, then there are going to be some spoilers coming up for you. So just be prepared. Um, I, but I do feel like if a movie's like 20 plus years old and you haven't seen it yet, that's really on you if it gets spoiled. Like, you've had time. So That's true. This is an interesting movie um, for me because I I grew up uh, in a church culture that was like very much like anti R-rated movies. And this was one of those that for whatever reason, everybody still loved, even though it was rated R. Like it was like, oh, yeah, we don't watch rated R movies except for this one. Like <laughs> my, my wife's family is very strict about the no R-rated movies but this is one that everybody in her family has seen and loves. And I think mostly they've seen it on TV. I don't know that they've right. seen like the actual so R-rated version. Cut out a little bit, yeah. But but it's one that they're like, oh yeah, it's one of our favorite movies. And it's just interesting to me because for whatever reason, this is <laughs> the like a favorite <laughs> in the culture. <laughs> why, and in the why, do you think though... why do you think it's one of their favorites? Because this kind of will get us into like the issue that I have with this movie. Oh, okay. Um, why do you I, why I do you think it's, you don't know? I I don't know necessarily. I think it's just they someone watched it, enjoyed it, and then they all started watching it, and enjoying. It. I think the storytelling is really good in it. I think mm -hmm. it's an intriguing story. Um, I think it's a part of history that people aren't as super familiar with. I mean, it's a it's a fictional story based in a historical time. Yeah. Like the French and Indian War is something that most people don't know a lot about. Um, because it's pre-revolutionary war. And really, when you learn history in school, it kind of goes like the pilgrims come on the Mayflower and then a bunch of stuff happened. And then we had the Revolutionary War and then you get a little bit more into detail. And so the French and Indian War is kind of glossed over a lot in history and it's a really interesting uh, time. Um, and so I think people are just intrigued by that. But I, I, I don't know if that leads into the issue that you've got, Val, or not, but what were you going to say? I was Casey? just going to say real quick. I, I think that it's, it's a romanticized. Yes. Idealized version of the past. Mm -hmm. I think that's why a lot of it, it's got a sweeping score. Daniel Day Lewis looks amazing running through the forest. Um, I think, yeah. I think that's a lot of it, but it is so romanticized. Oh, it totally is. And that was yeah. one thing my wife did mention. She's like, yeah, everybody in my family. She's like, well, at least all my sisters really like Daniel Day Lewis. <laughs> I can see. I that. mean, what's not to like about him, right? I mean, <laughs> I, I do, I do like um, the idea of his character. Like he, you know, is an Englishman who was brought up um, in the Native American culture, um, and so you know, there's a couple times in the movie where he very much says, I'm not a part of any of your war, and he says this to the Englishman, like, I am not a part of anything you guys are doing, I am here. This, you know, I'm, he understands, you know, the culture of the native American and that's where he feels that he fits, you know, and, uh, but he does still help, um, people when they need it. Um, I think because I hadn't seen this movie in a really long time. And what I did remember about it was that it was very beautiful to watch. Like the cinematography mm -hmm. is great. The score is great. All of the actors and actresses are beautiful, <laughs> you know, good looking. The, <laughs> they're the uniforms that they're wearing during war are, don't have any soil on them, even though they're mm -hmm. all been going through 
you know, the countryside. And like, I think after visiting Gettysburg and like going through the museum and seeing, um, you know, these, um, I don't want to say costumes firsthand because they weren't the uniforms firsthand um, and seeing like how small these men actually were back then. Like I, I could fit into these uniforms and they weren't only small just because like men were a little bit shorter. They were small because the people that were fighting were young, really, really young. Um, And that puts a perspective, but I have been watching um, a show called Jamestown on PBS and um, I watched basically all five seasons in the last two weeks. And then I watched The Last of the Mohicans. And Jamestown is basically when settlers come to Jamestown and they settle it and they bring in women and they have to work with the Native Americans to kind of, and they lie to them. They mm-hmm. say that they're moving on, that they're not staying there. And then they do, they settle because the land is amazing. And then it ends up with leading to war. Like the, you know, at the end, um, if you know anything about Jamestown and so watching that and then going into this where it is so romanticized and it opens up like the, the opening of the movie is you see all of these British soldiers and they've come and they've made this civilized place and they're all beautiful and the lens is glowing and just nice. And then all of a sudden these horrible Indians come in and start murdering people. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, why did they do that? <laughs> <laughs> Cause they're savages. So I just yeah. think like it, it starts out the movie that way. We do learn a little bit more getting into the movie and we do empathize, I think with the situation. But I, mm-hmm. to me, I guess now that the age that I am, I, I, if it would have come out and I would have been older back then, I don't know that I would have been as okay with this movie as I was when I was younger. Cause it was beautiful to, it is beautiful to watch. I'm still yeah. watching it yeah. like these, some of these camera angles that they get in these outdoor places because most of the time anymore, they don't shoot. They don't shoot outdoors. Like they'll get some of it and then they'll recreate it. Like this is all out there, which I give huge props to this filmmaker, you know, like just. Yeah. Tying tying back in a way to the Mandalorian that we were talking about earlier. um, Yeah. They'll build like a certain amount of the set and then the rest of it's just on a screen. And the fact that they're out there in the, I think it was in Virginia where they shot yeah. in um, the weather in the in, elements uh, behind the waterfall. I mean, and, and he's pulling off some really difficult shots, like moving yeah. camera with a dolly. And I mean, that, there's a lot to be said for shooting on location. And you've got to carry it, it, all of that equipment in there. Yeah. And this is before it was like carry. It's still a lot now that things are smaller and more compact, but back then it was huge. Yeah. Just, the camera itself was like 50 pounds. There was, and, and it's, I think that most of the budget to this movie probably went to Daniel day Lewis's salary. And then like the rest of it went to the cinematography, like the Um, shooting and the shots that they got. Cause there's one shot in particular where they're, that I just thought was like, they probably spent so much time setting up this shot, like hours and hours for like two seconds. There's like a bridge where it's perfectly mirrored yes. in the water and they go across that bridge and it's a beautiful shot, but it lasts like two seconds. And they probably spent hours setting that up and getting it just right. And just perfect. Just for that one shot. That is like, I mean, it's a beautiful shot. It just doesn't, I mean, and it stands out, but it's, 
it's so it's, short. It's a shot. It's a shot like that 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 gets you nominated for an Oscar, though. There was a very yeah. specific right. formula back then mm -hmm. of what would get you nominated for an Oscar. One, a period piece. Yep. Mm -hmm. Two, anything to do with um, culture, costumes, like heavy makeup, whatever, and then the mm -hmm. beauty shots. Like if mm -hmm. you look yeah. at everything that was nominated in the early '90s to mid '90s, it was it was all these beauty, and I don't mind that at all. Like put time into you know, the beauty shots, right. like the great, right. that's great filmmaking. I don't have a problem with that at all. Um, it is funny though. If you haven't seen the show Jamestown on PBS, um, the guy who is in the beginning of this film, um, major or let's it's, he's the guy trying to marry the main, what's his name? Um, major Duncan. Oh, mm -hmm. uh -huh. he is actually in Jamestown. So oh, I was really? like, Hey, wait a second. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he's, I a lot, you. he's a lot older, obviously, now, because right. Jamestown has, has been made sooner. But he plays, yeah, this British guy who comes, like, he's a main guy in this village who's in charge. And um, and I was just like, ooh, but he's kind of a really bad guy in Jamestown. So, mm, um, yeah. but yeah, it was kind of interesting. But, um, but yeah, all in all, my only issue is that they do really, really romanticize this. But at the time, like during that time when we were making movies, we really didn't care. And people were just really happy that the story was being told, I guess. Um, I would really yeah. like some more stories to be told um, about this time period, mm -hmm. I guess. Yeah. In this, in this big of a way with this big of a budget. Yeah. And it's interesting too, because it does follow a very, Tracy, you mentioned savages earlier. And I think that this does still follow that same formula. Mm -hmm. And it kind of hides it a little bit because it's last of Mohicans and, and three main protagonists are, are, you know, native American. Well, mm -hmm. I mean, Daniel day Lewis is adopted native American in the culture enough. and everything, but like, there's this big contrast between the protagonists who are dressed very similarly to the white man they're you know they've got more hair they don't have the mohawk look and they're mm -hmm. using rifles as opposed to you know tomahawks and things like that and then there's the bad guy native americans who are dressed much less you know they aren't wearing like magua i think is his name the main mm -hmm. villain yeah. you know he doesn't who wear a shirt he's got the mohawk he looks much oh yeah he's, he's great bad. he's I a great him. actor but yeah they make the bad guys look much more savage than the good guys, you know, and it still follows that same formula that has happened in Western storytelling since the, well, probably since Jamestown where right. we paint them as these savage creatures, as opposed to human beings with a culture and yeah. uh, traditions of their own um, and a civilization of their own, even though it's a different culture and civilization than what we're used to. Well, and, yeah. and being said to that, like that was their that was the goal of like the English settlers was to get the Native Americans to look like them. And they address mm -hmm. this in Jamestown. It's like, okay, we already have some Native Americans that are addicted to the food that we bring in, that wear the clothes that we have, and now we just need to baptize them, you know, and get them more in our culture. And they would have people, you know, Native Americans walking through the town that looked a little bit more like them. They still had you know, their long hair braids, but they were wearing some, and then you'd have the native Americans who hadn't, you know, they were still all in their traditions. Um, and so I do believe during that time, that was a thing. I do believe during that time. And 
anytime, but specifically because we're talking about the last Mohicans, there were good and bad Englishmen. There were good and bad Frenchmen. There were good and bad sure. Native Americans, you know, but like it all depends on whose side you're on. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like every, every side that they're on, they're just trying to do better for themselves, save their own families, you know, build their own lives. And so I just, I do think Jake, like you said, you do have to, when you make a movie, when you're telling a story, you do have to pick a side. You have to have good and evil sure. or the story doesn't work. Um, but I do think that as this movie ages, we do, and this is what's great about film and what's great about books is that as a story ages and we all grow and change, we can come back and question it and say, yes, it was a very good storytelling. It is beautiful. Where were the holes and how can we answer those questions, fill them you know, and maybe mm -hmm. make something else. I don't want to last the Mohicans too, people. This is not what I'm asking for. <laughs> no. I don't need a prequel. I don't need a sequel. I don't need a reboot. <laughs> Leave it and then just take the idea of this made a lot of money. A lot of people enjoyed it. Take that story. Evolve on the story with the same budget, you know, and, and let's see if we can tell some more some more stories about it. Because well, I think kind of this... Oh, the Last of the Mohicans is, I think, the biggest box office hit of a Native American movie. Because since then, there have been some Native American-based stories in film that have done well. But I think this, and I don't know, I'll have to fact check it, but I think this made the most money. I Yeah, I'd put that up against Dances with Wolves. Yeah, I was going to say Dances with Wolves might be the only one that maybe... Yeah, but... Yeah, more. but, yeah. and I think, though, because Dances with Wolves... I think Last of the Mohicans, the reason why I would say it was more is because... I don't know. Yeah, we'll have to look. It probably is about yeah. the same. Yeah. But I, I think it's interesting because we don't really get these kind of mid big budget films anymore. Um, yeah. It's either a very small independent film or it's this huge epic $100 million budget. And Jake, I liked what you had said with the, with the amount of money going to the cinematography um, a lot of that is because Michael Mann, who's the director, who I think is a mm -hmm. fantastic director, is a lot like David Fincher in that he shoots a lot of film. He yeah. would do like a minimum of 20 takes per shot. So when you're talking about the bridge, they probably did that 10 or 15 times and reset mm -hmm. and the guy's crossing again. And film is really expensive. I mean, with digital, you can just shoot and shoot and shoot and it's not a big deal. Um but they had so much footage to go through. And then it was killing me to think about how much time and effort it took to build that fort because that fort mm -hmm. is just fully realized. That is not just a set. Yeah, they don't Usually do that when anymore. you have a set, you build the one thing that the camera is going to see. And we have all these tracking shots where they're going around the corners. And I mean, they built that, that fort. It's impressive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, but I think it adds a level of realism when you're watching mm -hmm. the film, when, when they do that, you know, we were watching and you can't compare because there's, you know, 60 years difference or 50 years difference in, in filmmaking, but we were watching white Christmas the other day where you can tell every shot inside outside was all done on a soundstage. Like all of it was on a soundstage. Cause that's how they made movies back right. then. Right. And now when you watch it, it does take you out of the movie a little bit because you're like, okay, everything looks so fake and compare that to a movie like 
and it's not fair to really do, but you compare sure. it to a movie like Last of the Mohicans, and obviously when you build the sets, when you're doing those shots outside, it does add to the reality of the movie, and it draws you in a lot more, and you're like, okay, you're in the world with the characters, and you're experiencing it differently, and so it it's worth it, I guess, in that sense, but it, it, you're right, it had to be extremely expensive to build all of that out. I mean, extremely expensive. And and one of my favorite stories is when they were doing the the siege at the fort and it's nighttime and they have the cannons going off and everything. They filmed so much on so many nights and so many takes that at one point, Michael Mann yelled cut and said, where is that orange light coming from? Get rid of that orange light. And one of the PAs came over the speaker because it's this huge field that they're shooting in. And one of the people came over the speakers and said, uh, Michael, that's the sun. <laughs> you know that's how intense he he gets he's like he didn't realize that was the sun he thought it was some kind of light coming in from somewhere yeah yeah so, um dances with wolves made more money hmm. so there you go kevin costner bigger box office draw than daniel day lewis because <laughs> we all knew we were going to see his butt at some point in the film yep. <laughs> yep. did we well it was a kevin costner film i think he's always <laughs> Yep, every Kevin Does he always film. show his butt? Like, I think he's only shown in the nineties. In the nineties, oh, yeah, that Robin Hood. Yeah, um, yeah, dances with wolves. I'm trying to think of what else, but yeah, he was pretty huh. well known for his showing off his butt. He was pretty proud. Huh, um, okay. So it's interesting. So this movie is based on a novel that was right. written in 1826. So that's how long ago, and so. Right there, it's a it's a fictionalized version of history based in a time when you know, yeah, it, not going to be accurate anyway. But yeah. <laughs> um, part of the reason it was it was written, the author kind of believed this idea that the Native American culture and um, everything was going to be wiped out. It was in danger, basically that it, that Native Americans were basically going to either be extinct or assimilated or whatever and their culture was going to be lost and so his goal was to try to to depict some of that in literature so that it, it could be preserved and he actually wrote a trilogy of books of this was the second uh story mm -hmm. in that trilogy and so um it's interesting to think of it that way um and how sad that would be if if that had actually happened if every native american culture had been assimilated or extinct or wiped out I mean, we did a we did, we did a, a pretty good job. Pretty efficient job. I don't want to say good job because I don't think it's a good thing, but we did a pretty efficient True. job of of wiping out a lot of that culture. But um, so with this trilogy, were they interconnected part. stories? Um, from what I'm looking at, it looks like they're interconnected, um, but they take different. They take time. They take place in different time periods, and so this was during the French and Indian War. Uh, the one before was was earlier than that, obviously. And so uh -huh. trying to kind of depict what the culture was like at different times. Um, and so it is going to be fairly romanticized because you're trying to say this is how great it is and this is what we lost and um, yeah. trying to preserve that in some ways. And I don't know if you're doing that and you're writing a fictional story, um, I do think you're going to romanticize it a little bit instead of trying to accurately yeah. depict what what things were like. Um, I don't, I think he did. I think he did it justice. Cause you know, the way he's looking at it from his perspective and that's a good, that's really interesting to know is that, I mean, if he were alive today, his story's true. Like where yeah. do you, where do you walk around and see like, we have little Italy, we have, you know, like mm -hmm. we have little 
China that we could like Korea town, like all these places that people go to so that they can, you know, live these different cultures. Where do we go to see the native American culture? Like you can go to yeah. a reservation, but it's still not, that's what we gave them. That's what we right. made them become. So, I mean, if his, you know, he was right. Like we, you don't, you just don't see their culture being their culture. Like you'll see it like in museums or, you know, there's native American festival, you know, festivals that happen. Um, but unless you're going to go visit a family that you really know, or you're going to go get invited to one of these festivals, you really just don't see it. So I really, I didn't know that. I didn't know there were three yeah. books. I didn't know how long ago they were written. Um, and that's interesting. I kind of want to read them now. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting to look at it that way. I mean, 1826 isn't that far removed from when this takes place in 1757. Like, right. yeah. you could get, re, re, you could talk to people that lived during the French and Indian War and they can tell you what they remembered. And it's, it's basically like now to uh, World War II. Yeah. 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 Which is weird to think about. Uh -huh. yeah. <laughs> but so. I do think we have a tendency as a culture, um, as human beings, the winner gets to write the history and they want to smooth off the rough edges. Mm -hmm. You know, they want to make sure that they look pretty good and that. Right. Um, and, and that's a play here, but it didn't really affect me as much as I thought it would. I'm with Val. I haven't seen this movie um, in many years and it didn't hit me as hard. Like last week when we were talking about Braveheart, it, it's weird. Cause I was talking about how Mel Gibson knowing about Mel Gibson now kind of took me out of the story. Mm -hmm. And I was afraid that some of the stuff with native Americans um, would happen with this one. And it didn't, I was still inside this world that they created. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think really it was just because where what I the journey I've been going through lately, oh, just sure. like the historical trip that I just went on and then watching Jamestown, which is very much talks about, you know, all of this. And it's very, you know, it's very dramatic. Like there's a lot of drama and lying and deceit coming from, you know, all sides. And then, you know, it being Thanksgiving. And I, I do like to read, you know, some Native American history things during Thanksgiving, because as we're celebrating one thing, you know, that culture is celebrating something very different. And so I do just like to be aware. And so I think it's very, it's, I like that I did it. I'm not trying to, like, I hate if people are listening and they're like, you're just oh, no. trying to turn this into something negative. No, I just, <laughs> I like that I'm coming from a different side this time around. I like oh, seeing totally. from all different sides, um, you know, and I get like this, this film still is, I really like it. It's very enjoyable. I think it was, how long is this movie? Um, the director's cut. Yeah, I watched just the director's cut. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the only one that's available now. Yeah, there's, on, well, on iTunes two, if you get it. Well, so on Amazon, on Showtime, if you have Showtime, you can okay. get a regular version. And then on mm -hmm. Amazon, you can get director's cut. I didn't have to pay for either because I subscribe, but... Um, so yeah. really I am paying, but not paying. I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, I did watch the director's cut because I hadn't seen that before. And I was like, okay, like after Braveheart, I'm in for a long haul here. But I think mm -hmm. because of the the timing, I wanted to talk about that. Like the way that he moves through this movie, like a dance, yep. like did you, did you guys yeah. feel yep. that? Like it's just the, the timing of this film um, is very much in dance form. Like you've got mm -hmm. the slow 
waltzes and then you've got the tangos and then you've got, you know, kind of these, it's, it's, it's very beautiful in so many different ways. And I can see how like, yeah, I mean, wasting a lot of film to get these beauty shots and that is so expensive. And I can see why people don't do that very much anymore, but I have to say it was worth it. Like it was just oh, yeah. a very well made movie. And I myself think that it, that it does very well in 2020 yeah. like the coloring mm -hmm. of the film doesn't mm -hmm. look old it still looks no. crisp and beautiful the actors because it is a timepiece but at the same time the makeup and the hair was done so well that because some of these period pieces they still do the makeup and hair and they get you get a little 80s in there you know what i yeah. mean yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. i know exactly what you mean you're like yeah this was definitely done in 1983 you can tell because they've got the big hair Little yeah, House on the Prairie is a really good example of what you're <laughs> like that TV series. Yes. Like you watch that, you're like, yeah, this was definitely made at a certain time, even though in a certain time period, because yeah. the bell bottoms and the big hair. <laughs> but unless One. you were watching this movie sitting next to Daniel Day Lewis with his gray hair right now, like this movie, like you would if I showed it to you and didn't tell you when it was made, I feel right, like yeah. you wouldn't know. Right. Like it, yeah. And and that's the thing up. with that's the thing that I love with Michael Mann's films is his stuff is so well constructed. Like the way that he frames shots and the way that he puts them together. And the thing that I think that he's so good at is his editing when it comes to action. Like there's mm -hmm. a real art to that. And that's one of the things like you can have all the complaints in the world about George Lucas, about a screenwriter and and a bunch of other things. But when it comes to cutting action, that guy knows how to do it. And this one, I feel, I, I love what you said about it being a dance ballad. Very much felt that way. Um, and I was just thinking, you know, it's got to be so difficult for these actors because Michael Mann is a, is a director where he does not like stunt doubles. He does not like, um, mm -hmm. he, wants, he wants the actors to actually do it. And I mean, they're running down mountains and they're climbing up over rocks and they're swinging, you know, Mohawks. And granted, they're not real. I think but, that's why Daniel Day-Lewis yeah. took this part because he really very much likes to be totally in yeah. character. He likes yep. to be like in it. And I think that I remember seeing an interview of him a long time ago that it was one of the reasons he really wanted to do the film is because he just wanted to do everything. Yeah. And he was yeah. an independent actor up until this point. This was his first yeah. big budget yeah. Um, big film, but he definitely is a method actor in that regard. And in fact, he went out and like lived in the wilderness for a couple months before they filmed wow. this movie. Wow. Like he, he went out and learned how to trap and learned how to live on the land. And um, several of the, the crew did that. Um, but he was out there longer than anybody. Nice. Oh, interesting. So it, it's interesting to me because you talk about Michael Mann um, and he is not a director that like when you drop his name that people are like, oh, yeah, no, totally yeah. recognize that name. Because, I mean, Last of Mohicans is probably his best known film that he directed. And heat. Yeah. And he, yeah. He is one of my favorite all time movies. But but like he's done a lot of producer work on some big films like he was he was an executive producer on Ford versus Ferrari that just came out recently and and things like that which is an excellent movie, by the way. Love it. Um, and they but, had a lot of beauty shots. So he must've had some input as his producing because there were some great shots in that movie. Yeah. But the other name that's interesting is, is Trevor Jones who did the music. 
and you yeah. look at his career too. And like, I just pulled it up on IMDb because I was like, what else has he done? Because the music in this is incredible. But like, mm-hmm. when you pull him up in IMDb, he's like known for uh, Last of the Mohicans, uh, Notting Hill, Dark City, Cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. Like, he's all over the I place. Think it's safe to say yeah. this is probably his. Like when you look at it, this has got to be the signature film for both director and and uh, music composer. Like Notting it's, Hill, that makes a lot of sense now because Notting Hill, um, it's a it's a fun movie, but the music composition is it? <coughs> excuse me, actually way better than the film. And I'm not mm-hmm. I'm not throwing Notting Hill down. It's a cute movie. <laughs> no, but. But like that makes a lot of sense because the yeah. music composition in that film is so beautiful. So that I didn't, yeah. yeah. I, I, I love the music for this film, but I do feel like it gets just a tad repetitive. Like it's that one theme over and over and over. And that would be my one small complaint with the score. It's gorgeous, but give me a little I, variation on something. I can see that complaint. However, that theme is just so perfect that it doesn't bother me that much. I, I, you know I agree I mean? with you. It's it's nitpicky for sure, it, but I was noticing like, that last night. I'm like, give me a little variation on the theme. It's like the yeah. mission, though. You watch the mission, and that's the same theme over and over again. But I could listen to that theme for four hours straight, and actually probably not watch the film, and I'd still be just as pleased because and, the and film it's is interesting because I was thinking of the sorry, mission last night. Um, it, it's very reminiscent in a lot of ways, a lot of parallels to that film, which we've talked about before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I didn't remember that Michael Mann directed Ali. Um, I yeah, probably so, knew at the time. I probably knew at the time, but I I didn't remember. Yeah, I so, I just think he's one of those directors that like you know a couple of the his films, but you don't know that he actually directed them be, because he's not a, a signature director like a, a Steven Spielberg or like when you sit down and you watch Hitchcock. Yeah, yeah, like you go. Though there are certain directors that you go to see the movie because you know that they're directing the film. Yeah. Like, oh, this is a new Steven Spielberg movie. I'll go see it. Even though it's Ready Player One and it was a, a dumpster yeah. fire. I think, I, if you were, I think if you were uh, into film watching in the 90s, Michael Mann would have been more on your tongue than he is now. I definitely yeah. think yeah. because I mean, I think you know, I think, I think I remember because I loved Public Enemies. Um, when that came out I loved Heat I love Collateral The Insider is a great movie Ali is a great movie and then you have Last of the Mohicans and you know those all happened you know 90s through the early 2000s and so I think he just has I forgot he did Hancock oh yeah (laughs) Hancock is such a great bad movie Um, (laughs) but um, and and he helped produce Ford v Ferrari yeah that's what that's what Jake just said Um, oh sorry so yeah, so I mean, he is knowing how he makes movies. Um, now you see why he doesn't maybe make as many movies as the other directors that we know, because it does take a bigger budget. It does take longer to make these films. Um, you know, you can't when you make a movie on film, on actual film, and you're doing something epic like this, and you're you're having to set up all this stuff. Like instead of shooting a a movie in in six months you're you're making a movie in two years like i don't think people understand like the difference between you know yeah it takes two years to make something like um end game but that's only because there's so much cgi special effects um stunts and things that you have to get ready for but when you make a film the way he makes a film Mm -hmm. um 
You're going back to Hitchcock days where Hitchcock would just spend hours and hours on one freaking take and you've yep. gone through seven rolls of film for two minutes, if that, and you're spending mm -hmm. so much money. I'm not saying man is like that, but you know, he's, oh, he is. he's, a, little bit of an old, <laughs> he's a little bit of an old school filmmaker mm -hmm. when you're spending more time on actual lighting, actual sets, getting the actors into the character because you don't have doubles. You don't, you mm -hmm. don't have doubles of any kind. Like, right. you know, when you get into a film, you not only have stand-ins, you have stunt doubles, you have, if you're, if they're not, if you're only seeing the back of their head in these shots, it's not them. Sorry to ruin right. that for you guys now, but the way man shoots, it's that person all the time. If you're yeah. this character, that's you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a different art of filmmaking. It's definitely way different. So one of the things that I really appreciate about this film too, is it doesn't give us the super duper happy ending. Right. I yeah. mean, the ending of it is really, really tragic and sad, you know, mm -hmm. Hawkeye, you know, or Nathaniel, whatever you want to call him, doesn't save the day for everybody. Like he gets the girl, but loses brother, loses her sister. Duncan dies. Like things don't go well for them at the end of the movie. Mm -hmm. um, and I like that because sometimes when you're watching a movie of this magnitude, there has to be stakes. And we talked about that with Braveheart last week, you know, mm -hmm. it, it's okay for a movie like this to end that way. Otherwise the impact isn't the same, you know? Right. Right. Um, I think they I, set the tone for that at the beginning of the film though, when he meets up with her for the first time and they go back to the house of his friends and it's burnt down. And he's just like, we, she's like, we've got to bury these people. And he's like, we've got to move on. And she's like, you're, I don't like your indifference. And he stops her and looks at her and says, they're not strangers. And then, you know, later on, she apologizes. You're trying to do the better thing for us. Like right. not everybody. Yeah. People are, this is real life. People are going to mm -hmm. walk out of this um, with losses and hurting and, you know, all of these things. And you just have to get what you have around you. Sorry. And move on. And you've got to keep going. Yeah. Um, I did appreciate, like, I love Duncan's character arc and the way he ends you know, while he's saying, okay, tell him to take me instead of them. And he turns it into tell, you know, take, take me the British officer instead of them. And, mm -hmm. and he gets like, no, it was supposed to be me. It was supposed to be me. And, um, and he ends up dying. And I thought that was a great way for Duncan to kind of redeem yeah. who he is and, and kind of be the hero mm -hmm. in the end. Um, and then that last fight between, um, Magua and his brother and then you know his father goes in there like it's just all very just really sad as they're walking along that ridge and I don't know it, it hits you and then the the scene at the very end where they're standing there and his his father is now the last of the Mohicans that's where the name for it comes from he's the last of the of his people mm -hmm. and it's a it's a tragic thing a whole culture a whole people a whole civilization just gone yeah. You know, their history is not going to be told again. Their culture is not going to be remembered in the same way. Um, it's a, it's a tragic thing. And that there were a number of people that that has happened to. And that's yeah. sad. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's, 
you know, I was talking to this, uh, you know, with my boyfriend the other day and, you know, we were talking about this has happened a lot. Like you said, Jake, through history where, you know, people have come in and they've taken over and they've wiped out another people. Um, and in this instance, it's just, um, you know, it was soon enough in history that it was taken down in a way that we all see and understand. But there were probably a lot of different people in this country, um, Native Americans that were taken out that their stories weren't told because yeah, nobody was around to tell the story. You know right, what I mean? Right. So it's just, yeah, it just, it just puts a lot of things in perspective, um, you know, to think about that. And if you haven't watched this in a while, but you're listening because you watched it a long time ago, I would say go back and watch it. And I would say if you have time, you know, watch these shows that are out there. Like PBS does a really good job at, yes, putting in a lot of the history, but also dramatizing it. I did not know that PBS had shows that were kind of rated R. <laughs> I thought PBS mm. was like just these educational shows, but PBS, <laughs> um, the app, um, that you can download like on Roku or Amazon or, you know, I have it on my Amazon. Um, they hooked me in. It's that holiday, you know, week. They gave me PPS <laughs> for like a week for free. And I'm like, oh, what's Jamestown? I want to watch this. I just, sorry, my dog's like attacking me. Um, and uh, and I watched the first season. And I was like, this is really good. I want to watch more. And then like, if you want to watch more, you need to subscribe. <laughs> so I did the seven day free subscription and I have on my calendar to shut it off tomorrow. Um, but I think I'm actually going to pay for it at least one more month because they've got so many great historical fiction um, mm. type series um, on there that, I mean, it's kind of neat. Yeah. Yep. PBS is definitely. It's more than Sesame Street. Yep. Yes. <laughs> well, I knew there was other shows. I just didn't know that there were shows that like you see boobies well in this series you, so just well i was gonna know. say you think There's of it movie. being a very safe and sanitized yes channel. yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i watch a lot of documentaries on there you know but yeah, i sure. didn't know yeah so all right well let's um give last mohicans a grade tracy let's start with you today um so i think this film holds up really really well um like we've talked about the the cinematography is absolutely insanely good um, the score is really, really good. Like I said, minor quibble, wanted a little bit of a variation. Um, the acting is really strong. <coughs> it holds up. It didn't pull me out. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say right on the A minus B plus range is where I'm going to place this one. Yeah, I put it at an A minus as well. Like, I just think this movie is beautifully made. Um, it takes me back to a time when I wish more filmmakers would make movies that are as mm -hmm. beautiful and as thoughtful as this yeah. movie is very thoughtful when it comes to filmmaking and technical aspects. Um, I think it would be like a total a for me. Um, I, I did see a few times where it did get a little self-indulgent in the cinematography where I could have cut a few things just to make it a little bit more comfortable in the time to watch it. Um, but I didn't feel like it was too long. Um, and then I also just think they missed they missed out on a few story points for me. But like now that I know they wrote it after this book that was made so, you know, far back then. Um, I, but I think A minus like it is it is a sturdy movie. It's great. It holds up. It's beautiful. Um, and I'll watch it again. Mm -hmm. 
for me, it's a solid B. Like, there's nothing wrong with the movie. I don't know that it's one that I'm was eager to go and like watch it over and over again or anything like that. I hadn't seen it for quite a few years. And so watching it again, it was nice. Um, I also watched the definitive director's cut, but because I haven't seen the original multiple times, I don't really know what was added yeah. in the definitive director's cut. Not a whole cut lot. <laughs> and it, it's interesting what you say, Jake, because originally the original cut was three hours and this was supposed to be a summer blockbuster. Yeah. And the studio was like, we're not going to show a three hour movie. Nowadays, it's like, sure. Um, back yeah. then, no. So he had to cut. So it actually pushed the, the, the release date back into the fall. Um, an early winner, which was probably better for it for Academy Award nominations. Yeah, it, this is but much more of an Academy Award. Between the two cuts is yeah. a couple minutes, I think. This, this to me, does not feel like a summer <laughs> blockbuster. This no. feels more like an Academy Award type movie, and I think fall, winter is a better place for it to to be released. However, that being said, Braveheart doesn't feel to me like a summer blockbuster, but it was Memorial Day weekend release. So, I mean, mm. things were different in the '90s than I think they are now. But. This, <laughs> uh, but this is uh, this is a great film, and I don't want to slide it by giving it a B. But it, for me, it's just not one Beats that I feel like. It's a yeah. solid grade. If you yeah. got a C, I might be like Jake. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> this movie is. is but I think a B is a good grade. This movie's way too beautiful. The music's way too incredible to give it anything lower than a B, in my opinion. But um, it's just not one that I'm like, okay, I'm going to watch it again, or I need to make sure I own this one, or the we bring it out every year or something like that. So well, if you want to own this, I just looked it up and you can get last of the Mohicans and dancing with wolves as a set collection on Amazon. So if you okay. just want to be fully enthralled go. in that, there you go. So let me just, <laughs> let me just say this right now, dances with wolves. And I know we're not talking about that. We should. <laughs> we, maybe yeah. we should. It's been yeah. a long time since I've seen it, but it just, I just remember being a very long. It movie. is. It's okay. very self-indulgent. Yeah. yeah. That's why they have to flash his butt in the middle so you keep going. Yeah. <laughs> a little like water to the face. It's it's a Let's long movie again. narrated by Kevin Costner writing journal entries. That's what I remember about it. And so it just I just remember it being very boring. Maybe I need to go revisit it. I don't know. But I don't know that we need to, but maybe at some point we should. Well, maybe I personally need to. I don't know that we need to cover it on the show, but maybe I need to go and revisit it. Um, but anyway, yeah. So I think this is a great movie. Um, you guys should check it out. We've got more fun stuff coming up over the next few weeks. We haven't totally decided what yet, but we promise it will be fun for us. <laughs> I'm going to so put together fun. a blog of all the movies. You can see Kevin Costner's button exactly what time in the movie to fast forward to. I think that's what I'm going to spend the next couple of weeks of my life doing. <laughs> Perfect. He's going Perfect. down the Kevin Costner rabbit hole. <laughs> Not like that. No. <laughs> that's not what I meant. All right. Well, thanks so much for listening, everybody. Uh, and we won't see you at the movies. If you have feedback for us, send it to podcast at movies that make us.com, or you can comment on any of our social media. We always appreciate the feedback. Thanks for listening, watching. Please remember to like and subscribe, and we won't see you at the movies. <laughs>